Well, I, I uh, uh, have heard from many of you how much you enjoyed the key story last week. Uh, for those of you, maybe you weren't here last Sunday, it was uh, years ago, um, sharing earlier, I think, uh, do we, have, we had our kids already, yeah, we had our kids already. And I dropped, anyway, I dropped my keys in the ocean. Uh, they were in my swimsuit pocket, they came out, and uh, we were at the beach. And so we realized we don't have keys, so I go back to the ocean, and, and I reach down, and there they were. So that was the story. Well, this is, a, I, had a, I have a follow-up. This, I've started leaving my keys in my car when I go to the gym in the morning, okay? Because nobody steals. You know, if you, if you want to uh, uh, you not have crimes committed against you, start early, because criminals don't do crimes at 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning. Late at night, <laughs> you know, all the bad stuff happens, right? So anyway, but, but I don't like the fact that my car, and your car probably does this too, it automatically locks three doors. So when I go to take my gym bag or whatever and put it in the car, I don't like the fact that i got to go make sure I unlock the car and then walk around or haul the bag across the steering wheel, all that stuff. So, so what I do is I, I, when I walk around to get my, my bag, I hit the lock to unlock it, which unlocks all of them and doesn't lock back. But I, this morning, I hit the wrong side of the lock button, and I locked it. I didn't know you could lock your keys in your car anymore, but you can. Just do, I, I, would you read my, my articles on hacking, on, on life hacks? That's one of the life hacks that I can share with you. You can, there is a way to lock your keys in your car. So I know Rick Campbell comes down to work out, and uh, usually, so I call him up and I said, Rick, you coming to work out? Yeah, well, can you give me a ride home to get my spare key? So we, we're riding, we're driving the car, and we're talking about the key story. He heard the key story. He said, well, I got one for you. And I got to tell this story, Rick. This is a great story. When Rick is like 18 or 19 years old, he goes down to Western Massachusetts. I'll, 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 I'll tell a short version of it. And the people he's visiting has a pig farm. And so he gets there early before they're home for whatever reason and decides to chase the pigs. Him and his friend, I guess that's a big thing with, with some people, chasing pigs, right? And so he gets, they, get, they get done chasing the pigs around, and they get ready to get in the car, and his keys are not in his pocket. <laughs> so you got angry pigs in a muddy area. So he jumps over the fence, and a pig heads toward him with the keys in his snout <laughs> and drops the keys at his feet. <laughs> So that, I think that, that may be a better story than mine. Of course, finding your keys in the ocean, that's pretty good too. Hey, I tell you what, let's forget about keys this morning. Let's talk about the key to the kingdom of God, Jesus, right? And so what I want to do today, I want you to, we're going to have choir practice right now. And I want, to, I want to teach you a song, and I want you to sing it, because this song doesn't work. Just, it's a pretty song. It's a very nice melody, but uh, it doesn't work unless you have to sing this song. You have to sing it out. And, and, and think of it like this. I realize this is a song from a few years ago, and your ears are probably uh, adjusted to modern, contemporary songs. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I'm not trying to, to say old is better or anything like that. But uh, think of it like this. If you, if you were to go hear Gregor, Gregorian chants, you, you, don't go, you don't go to your car, you don't go to Spotify and say, I've got to find some nice Gregorian chants. That was incredible. No, it's a, you realize what it is, it's a prayer. 
So yes, if you enjoy it, that's a, that's a bonus. But this is not, we're not singing it so you will enjoy it. We're not singing it so you'll go, that's beautiful, I love that song. You may go, I hate that song. I don't care. That's, that's irrelevant. It's a prayer. And it's a prayer we're going to base this sermon on. And we're going to practice now because we're going to sing it as a prayer at the end. And it goes like this. <clears throat> Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment, hope for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. So I'm going to give Sherry a mic. She can sing harmony with me. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. Sing it with me. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment, hope, for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. You think you can sing it now? Everybody think you can sing it? <clears throat> Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment, hope for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. I'm just going to listen to you sing it one time. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Jesus. good. You're the heart of my contentment. You know, the scripture says that we're to sing to ourselves psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The, the, uh, unfortunately, and it, says it has good, and I'm not bashing it, unfortunately, we've moved to a performance in music. And so it's about, well, I'm going to go to that church. They have a cool worship team. But the Bible says you're just supposed to sing to yourself. You sing to yourself. You say, I'm a bad singer. Well, make a joyful noise unto the Lord then. <laughs> you need to sing to your own heart. And I want you to sing this one more time, and I want you to sing it to your heart. Make it a confession of your faith. Jesus, be the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. 
You're the heart of my contentment, hope for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you. So I want you to experience uh, the joy of Christmas this year and perhaps your relationship with God and, and maybe your relationship with joy is uh, depicted in a couple of letters that uh, uh, kids wrote to Santa. One goes like this, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before. This is your last chance. <laughs> so, any, anybody feel that way about Jesus right now? <laughs> there's another one dear Santa there are three little boys who live at our house there's Jeffrey he is two there's David he is four and there is Norman Jeffrey is good some of the time David is good some of the time but Norman is good all the time I am Norman <laughs> the late Ed Sturm said Christmas is a time of happiness but Christmas is not what makes us happy when our families all gather around us at Christmas time, the presence of all our loved ones gives us joy in our hearts. But if that is the sole basis of our joy, what happens if one of those loved ones is taken away? Will our joy remain? The title of the series is Great Joy, and today I want to talk to you about Christian joy is another kind of joy. So I want to talk about the other kind of joy. The scripture says, we'll go to Luke chapter 2, our text, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. And um, we know this wasn't just a political victory because he said it would bring great joy to all the people. <laughs> so it was for all both sides. Uh, Israel had a very tumultuous history. Uh, 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar invaded uh, the land of the Holy Land, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, and took the Babylon, took the Jewish people captive, and there they were in exile for 70 plus years. And around 536 uh, uh, to 445, the exile started returning. And then, of course, many chose to stay in Babylon. Uh, the Things were really never the same. Uh, 
the temple was rebuilt, but it was because it was smaller than it was before. The Bible says the elders begin to weep because the temple was smaller than it was before. And then if you go, uh, uh, go to about 430 B.C., you see the book of Malachi was written, and there was uh, a deep corruption in, in the temple, and there was great spiritual rebellion by the leadership. Uh, and so things were never the same, and, and you have a 400-year period when we have no record that God spoke or that Israel heard from God. In 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes uh, invaded the Holy Land and desecrated the temple and offered a pig on the altar. And uh, eventually there was a rebellion of, of, of a leader by the name of Judas Maccabees liberated the temple and cleansed the temple. But that didn't last too long because a few years later, Rome invaded, annexed Israel. And then in 37 B.C., Herod captured Jerusalem. And Herod was not a very nice person at all. He built him a temple, but he also, it, it was kind of like now they were under, they were under double tyranny. They had, they had the tyranny of Rome and, and Caesar, and they had the tyranny, well, a triple ty tyranny, really, because they had the, uh, the tyranny of Herod. Herod killed his own family members who displeased him and was a very, very terrible person. He, he wanted to be... Uh, he, he wanted to be... Uh, pronounced king of the Jews. That was his goal. And Rome would never give him that title, king of the Jews. So he was very guarded and very, very threatened by anyone else who claimed to be the king of the Jews, which is why we can see later in the Christmas narrative why he responded so aggressively when, when the wise men came looking for the king of the Jews because he wanted to be king of the Jews and Caesar would never give him that title. And so he was a very... Uh, terrible person. Then they had the, the third level of um, oppression was, of course, the, 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 the temple was very corrupt again. And the spiritual leaders, the, 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 the leaders of their community, the spiritual leaders were also very corrupt. So they, they were taxed by Rome. They were taxed by the temple. Life was very grim and very hard. And uh, I, I smile when people uh, say we've made any progress. <laughs> Technology is one thing, but human nature, human nature hasn't progressed one iota. We're still in the same socio-political struggles, the same oppression. If anything, it's worse than it was in 2,000 years ago. We have not progressed one bit toward, toward uh, righteousness, toward goodness, toward peace, toward liberty. We have not made any progress. We, we're, we should call ourselves regressives and not progressives. But what the story, the Christmas story, and this story in particular tells us, it tells us that great joy isn't dependent on great circumstances. Great joy isn't dependent on great circumstances. You know, uh, good evidence of that, and, and I, I think it was, yeah, you know, it was the day I, I locked my keys in my car, and I was in a really, I was in a really bad mood, and, 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 and uh, the rest of the day, I just kind of, there was a few little things that had, had not gone great, and, and I was just, uh, I was there at the office, and I was, I was actually trying to work on the sermon, and it's, it's really terrible when you're trying to write a sermon on joy, and you're 
not feeling any joy. <laughs> I got to work up some joy before Sunday. <laughs> you know, I want to preach on great joy. Why in the heck did I choose this title? I don't even want to preach on this anymore. <laughs> you know, I got to preach on joy. I think I'll preach on suffering or something. You know, <laughs> the wrath of God. That's what I felt like preaching. You know? And, and I, I get up from my desk and I'm walking around and I'm praying. And God, you got to help me. I, you know, just I'm in a bad mood and and. That, that voice, do you have that inner voice? Does everybody have that inner voice? I got that inner voice. Yeah, I believe it's God. And, and, and I, I believe it is God. I believe it was God. And it, here's what it said. Uh, it, it said, do you know how many people are in the world? Asked me a question. I said, 8 billion. And, and then the voice said, uh, 4 billion of those people would like to trade places with you and have your life right now. He goes, there I am in a comfortable office. I've got plenty of food in my stomach, and I've had plenty of caffeine, and uh, I've got all these blessings that you know about, right? That goes to show you that circumstances are not the key to joy because we are so fragile. And many of, some of you in this room have a real problem with joy, and you have a real problem with anger, and you have a real problem with feeling frustrated a, a lot of times, and just like me, at least 4 billion people in the world would love to have your life. Because circumstances aren't the key to, to lasting joy. They're just not. Rick Warren said, joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. I love Jack Hayford's quote, Joy is the inner conviction that God will ultimately triumph in all things. This is, I'm giving you some clues to what the greater joy is. So here's the thing. God, and here's the thing about circumstantial joy. God created us with a capacity for circumstantial joy. You know that. God created us with a capacity to be given joy by our circumstances. This is not to say when we, when we say joy is not dependent on circumstances, not that, that's not to say we shouldn't celebrate circumstances or seek to create good circumstances or we, that we shouldn't mourn our losses. It's not to say, more importantly, we should not seek to improve the lives of others. That was, that was the knock that Karl Marx had on Christianity and religion. That's why he called it the opiate of the people because he says it makes people contented with less than optimal conditions. It lets people be contented with oppression and suffering. And it makes them contented instead of trying to change their circumstances. And he did have a point. Because I've seen, I've seen some people's expression and experience of religion to be just exactly that. It made them passive. But that's, and it made them not celebrate the joys of life. But, but, but however, when we embrace a philosophy or a theology or an attitude that requires the world to be as it should be, the weather to be fair, people to be cooperative, our side winning, and all reports to be good before we can rejoice, we have an inferior joy. The word, joy, the word rejoice means brighten up. We're all guaranteeing a life of instability and chaos if we only have circumstantial joy. Even though God is God has uh, designed us. In fact, in fact, God has given us these wonderful chemicals in our brain. They're called uh, 
They're called serotonin and uh, dopamine, endorphins, endorphins and oxytocin that God has designed our brains so that when uh, certain things happen to us, they, they're called, they're called uh, happiness uh, chemi chemicals, right? They're called, did I get the word right? Did I get it? Huh? Okay. So uh, they're, 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 they're the happiness chemicals that God has put into your, your body. So God designed you to respond to all kinds of stimulation that would make you happy. God has designed you for that. So that's not wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I, think we, I think we overuse the word addiction. We overuse that word. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, when people would eat and they would have, have food and drink, it would, give, it would give them a merry heart. Well, what did that mean? It meant that endorphins were going off and dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin from eating this delicious food or, or having a delicious beverage. Uh, but, but it's not great joy. It's not great joy. Basically, it can't last. How much food can you eat? There's a point where it actually produces great sorrow if you keep eating. <laughs> If you keep drinking, it actually will produce great sorrow because it's not greater joy. See, I believe our problem, our problem today is not so much sinning as it is falling short of the glory of God. You know, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I very seldom hear people make a differentiation between sinning and falling short of the glory of God. I think there's more falling short of the glory of God than there is sinning in the church. I think there's more of us who just have never, it just have never elevated our, our, our stimulus for joy to the level that Jesus is the center of our joy. That God is the center of our joy and something that's immutable. The uh, O Father of lights in whom there is no variables nor shall of turning something that's not immutable something that's greater than chemical joy something that's greater something that, that's, that's, that's more that's more stable than endorphins and oxytocin and, 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 and all of those chemicals that God has put in our body you see our joy was corrupted by the fall see I, I believe there was a time when God gave, when, I believe when God first created Adam and Eve, he gave them great joy. I believe when God came around, their endorphins went off. And their oxytocin level rose. <laughs> and that maybe they even had a shot of adrenaline. God is in our, God is, in, God is coming into the garden. But the serpent came along and cut us off from dependence on God. So God no longer was the thrill that he was before. In fact, when God showed up, what did they do? They hid. <laughs> they hid from God when God showed up. And that's just what we do today. That's the same thing that you and I do. We, we lose God as the center of our joy. We lose Jesus as the center of our joy. We use the great plan that God has for the world that's right on schedule, by the way. The plan that God has for the world, if you read the prophetic scriptures, it's right on schedule, but nobody's excited about it because we want circumstances that are here now to change today, and if they would change, we would be happy. We think. But you'll be like me. <laughs> now, let's go back to the shepherds, okay? 
Undoubtedly, they talked about Israel's political and social misery out there in the field. I mean, they had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to talk. And, 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 and they could not check their Twitter feed. You know, <laughs> they had to talk to each other. So I'm sure they talked about horrible Herod and oppressive Rome and high taxes. I'm sure they, I'm sure they talked about those things. But the angel shows up and the angel's pronouncement signal clearly that political and social reform was the wrong place to look for great joy. You're going to find joy in Bethlehem. Not in Herod's palace. Not in Rome's, not in Caesar's palace. You're going to find great joy right here in this field without Rome changing, without Herod changing, without, without, without the temple leaders changing and becoming less corrupt and, and more, more compassionate, without your taxes being lowered, I'm going to tell you the source of great joy. Yes, you would have some joy if all those things change, and we would, you would all want those things to change. Of course, of course, there's nothing wrong with working for those kind, that kind of change. But if you think that one of those temporal changes is the ultimate in satisfaction, if that's the pinnacle, if that's as high as, as, as you go and you're thinking, you're going to fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> the angel's pronouncement signaled that. Almost certainly, also, here's, here's a really interesting thing, I think. Their joyful understanding of their joyful announcement had to be connected to their role. You see, Bethlehem was where, the area around Bethlehem, the fields around Bethlehem, is where the lambs were raised for sacrifice in Jerusalem. And they sacrificed lambs twice a day at the temple in Jerusalem. And around Bethlehem is where they raised the lambs. And so the shepherds were, were, were many people believe that they were Levitical priests who were in charge of birthing lambs that would be because they had to find perfect lambs the lambs couldn't have any blemishes no broken bones no splotches no defect in their eyes or mouth no defect whatsoever they had to be perfect lambs so they always they were always on the lookout for for the perfect lamb and uh, and and uh, because they were outside in the winter we know that that that's significant because the laws said that the lambs that were raised for sacrifice had to be stay outdoors for a year so they were there uh, it, it's we're almost certain that that was the case that they were raising lambs that would be sacrificed for the sins and for the atonement of the people so Jesus was calling now Israel, I'm sure that in their conversations about political change, they were looking for what we know prophetically is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was going to be the political, powerful, military general who was going to come and restore Israel back to the glory of the king of David. That's why they were in the city of David. That's why Jesus was born in the city of David and that's why they were raising sacrificial lambs near the city of David because the hope of every Jew was that, was that, was that Israel could be restored to the glory that it had under King David. 
Because King David, was, when his reign, it was the pinnacle of Jewish history. That's when everything was as it should be. They conquered their enemies. Their enemies were at peace with him. David was the, was, was, was the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had fallen away a long way from that. So they were not looking, they were not looking for a lamb. They were looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah. But with that pronouncement... With that pronouncement, friends, God had them connect the lion with the lamb. And they begin to see that the lion of Judah was also the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, and that's what made them happy. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to have greater joy till you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not going to have greater joy until Jesus becomes the pinnacle of your life. Until pleasing Him, knowing Him, understanding what He's done for you becomes the most exciting thing in your life, you will not understand greater joy. See, the Messiah coming as a baby. See, see we, wanna, we want God... Here's the deal. We want God to fix the thing. Whatever the thing is. Uh, 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 political corruption, whatever the thing is. We want God to fix the thing, but God knows He must fix the thing beneath the thing. You shall call His name Emmanuel. He shall save His people from their sins, the Bible says. See, we're all asking God to save us from the consequences of our sins, but that won't do any good. We need to be saved from our sins, not just the consequences of our sins. The political corruption that's in the world today is a consequence of our sins. And so if we get rid of the corrupt people that are in, in power now, some more corrupt people are just going to go in their place because men are, we are born in sin and we're shaping in iniquity. Until Christ comes along and delivers us from our sins, we're still sinners. So that's why Jesus did not come to win a political victory. He came to win a victory in the soul and the heart of mankind. He came to change your heart and to change your life and to deal with the sin problem that's in every human being's life, whether, whether they're in the White House or, the, or, or your house. They are, the problem that we have is that we are crippled and we are corrupted by a sin nature. That's why Jesus had to be the lamb before he could be the lion. See, here's what they learned. Great joy coexists with great suffering and struggle. The chief mark of the Christian ought to be the absence of fear and the presence of joy. I said the chief mark of the Christian, me and you, ought to be the absence of fear and the presence of joy. Frederick Nietzsche, who was a great critic of Christianity, said, if you want, to believe in, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then you've got to look a lot more redeemed. <laughs> William Barclay said Jesus promised his disciples three things. That they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. <laughs> That's what the book says. C.S. Lewis said we were promised suffering. That's part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. <laughs> and I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others. And in reality, not imagination. Most Christians aren't taught to joyfully walk with God in the reality of suffering and the setbacks that come with a normal life. Great joy is joy that operates with the contrast of angels singing and devils raging. 
Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. That's what's happening in the culture right now. That's what's happening. That's why all boundaries are being, are being crossed. We've got to cross every boundary because we've got to get rid of the chains of Judeo-Christianity in the world and in Western civilization in particular. But look at verse 4 of Psalm chapter 2. The one throne in heaven is stressed out. Is, is, is without any hope or joy. Is, is in complete despair. The one that sits in the throne in heaven laughs. Let that sink in. I wish I had, I wish I had Elon sink. I would say, let that sink in. <laughs> the one throat set in throne in heaven is like the Lord scoffs at them. Why don't, you, why don't you lighten up and do a little scoffing? Oh, but pastor, if we don't stop this political direction, we're going to be in, this is going to happen, or we're going to morph into total totalitarianism. Well, yeah, it's happened before, right? He that sits in the heaven laughs. <laughs> a sword, even, even to Mary, listen to what, they said to, what was said to Mary by Simeon when she went to the temple to, to present Jesus and to consecrate him there in the temple. A sword will pierce through your own soul so that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, see, part of the story of joy is Jesus came, the cross, the cross was necessary. The cross was necessary to show us how evil we are, to show us how selfish we are, to show us how determined we are to be in charge no matter what. The cross was necessary to reveal our hearts and to reveal our need for a Savior because we were not convinced that we needed a Savior. We just wanted a king, but not a Savior. But Jesus knew we needed a Savior first. Jesus needed, knew we needed to go to, to the ER before we could go to the resort. <laughs> I believe modern Christians have been robbed of the other kind of joy. I believe we have. Because we don't embrace the honor of being God's chosen people and the privilege of our calling to bring Christ to the world that still thinks he should be crucified. Still predisposed to make him the sacrificial lamb. Forgive my cynicism, but I don't think many of us are prepared to be filled with the Holy Spirit while living in the contrast of great sin and great grace. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed to you above all livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I, I used to think, God, you've got that out of order. I, I, I think there's a misprint. I think the translator's got it wrong. No. Satan's going to strike human, humankind's heel, and then Jesus is going to crush his head. Done. It's purposely. I, I realized this week as I was studying it. Okay, no, it's purposely. Because Jesus at the cross took away all of Satan's power. Do you know Satan has no power over you? Zero. You have power over you. 
But Satan has no power over you. But he can still nip at your heels. He can still bite you on the heel. He can still bring pain and he can bring confusion and hurt into your life. He will bring hurt into your life so that you will, you will, you will think he has power over you when he has no power over you. Remember, stop confusing suffering with failure. <laughs> you're suffering, but you, you're not defeated. Joy is the inner conviction that God will ultimately triumph in all things. That was the realization the shepherds came to that day. You know, in the old days, I'm talking about, what I'm talking about right now is that recover, let's recover that joy of fighting the fight. That's what I'm trying to say. Recover, recover that joy of, come on, come on, devil, let's go. We're going to win. You know, in the old days, uh, we used to sing songs that had military themes in the church. Now, most of you don't remember that. Or you weren't around. You, you were either, you're either, you're either too young or, or you were not in the type of church that sang it. We sang Onward Christian Soldiers. We sang, uh, in the Pentecostal church, we sang Hold the Fort, for I am coming. We sang Who's on the Lord's Side? And my favorite, <laughs> if you can believe it, we sang this in children's church, I'm in the Lord's Army, in children's church. It went like this. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, or march over land and sea, but I'm in the Lord's army. <laughs> now, I don't recommend we bring those songs back because it would produce great misunderstanding if we're live streaming that we're in the Lord's army. <laughs> in modern day, we've changed. Modern Christianity, there's something more significant. Modern Christianity has made us weak. It's made us not excited about the fight. We had some incredible joy. We weren't, we weren't thinking about nationalism or, or overthrowing anything. We were, realized we were in a struggle with an adversary and we were going to fight him and we were going to win. <laughs> Modern Christianity, though, I think we're weak for three reasons. One, an obsession with social acceptance, A. Secondly, a loss of enthusiasm about being invited to the great struggle of faith, hope, and keeping love alive in the world. And thirdly, the reality that all worthy pursuits enthusiastically embrace contrasting tensions. They all, you see a championship Performance, I'm telling you, whoever gives you a championship performance did some championship suffering and discipline before they gave you a championship performance. All great victories come with, con con with, with contrasting uh, uh, pursuits uh, and acceptance and acceptance of suffering and pain and difficulty and paying the price and then the victory that comes at the end. That has not changed. See, healthy and mature people know joy is to be had in my earthly experience. But great joy is only in looking on the Christ and sharing Him with the world. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told him about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which, which they were just as they had been told. Now, many, some scholars, Alfred Edersham was a 19th century Bible scholar, and he very much taught, and I won't go into the verses that he used and all, because there's some very key verses in the book of Micah, uh, book of Micah uh, I believe it's Micah 3.7 or something like that, that give credence to the idea that, that, there, were, that there was a, a, a particular stable that they would take the lambs before they took them to Jerusalem for sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever, you've, you're nodding, you've heard this before. And so some people believe that those shepherds actually went to the place where they would normally take the lambs. Remember, there was no room in the end. So they put Jesus in it. They called it a stable, but we know it was probably more like a, a the, the Micah 3, 7 talks about a tower. And the tower had a lower level. And, that, and so some people believe, and I, I, it's controversial. You'll see people say, no, that, that didn't really happen. It doesn't really matter. But we know that the drama of being in Bethlehem was incredibly important. So, this means we have to let go. We Sometimes we have to let go. I, I want to say, no, let me say it this way, not let go. We have to loosen our grip on circumstantial joy. We gotta, it, it's not that we, should, we shouldn't let go of it. You you should try today to have some circumstantial joy. If you possibly can, try to have some circumstantial joy. Try to give your your spouse some circumstantial joy. Try try to give your kids some circumstantial joy. Try to give your parents. Try to give everybody some circumstantial joy. Try to give somebody a reason to smile today. That would be a good plan. But the problem is not that 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 we hold it in our hands. The problem is we hold it too tightly. So if anything happens today... That steals my circum that steals my chemical joy. God has failed me. I am going into the we used to call it the mully grubs. I don't know if anybody uses that term anymore. Mully grubs. I don't know what that was or what they were, but it just seemed like oh it seemed like I'm going to a pig pen or something. Mully grubs. You we go into depression. And, we, and, and, we, and, we, and then we look for something. We, then we look for another chemical. We look for alcohol, the abuse of sex, something else to try to elevate those endorphins again. Let it go. Let it go. So I'm going to walk. If I have to, I'm going to walk in, in some discomfort today. I'm going to walk, I'm willing to walk in some discomfort today because I'm going for the greater joy. I'm going for the peace that passes understanding. I'm going for the, for, to live in the triumph that Christ accomplished by coming to that stable and being born and bringing hope to the world so that no matter what happens, it's all going to end well. No matter what's happens, I've read the last chapter of the book and we win. It's all going to be okay because Jesus is Lord 